0: Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery, Mystery of Everything. Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as I delve into Unsolved Historical Mysteries, Murders by Gaslight, and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts hello and welcome to history tea time i'm lindsay holiday and i'm spilling the tea on history queens of the world Josephine Bonaparte, Empress of France Josephine went from the daughter of a Caribbean plantation owner to the wife of a prominent French aristocrat. After her husband was guillotined during the revolution, she caught the eye of an up-and-coming soldier named Napoleon. He wrote her romantic letters while conquering much of Europe. And when he became emperor of France, he made her his empress. But his consuming passion for her also led to some serious relationship problems. Her inability to provide him with an heir ultimately led him to leave her for a younger princess. Marie-Joseph Rose, Tachère de la Pagerie, called Rose by her family, was born on the 23rd of June 1763 on the French colonial island of Martinique in the Caribbean. Her father Joseph owned a sugarcane plantation. The family was wealthy until a hurricane destroyed much of their estate in 1766. At 10, Rose was sent to France to be educated at a convent in the hopes that she might make an advantageous marriage. Her aunt, Desiree, was a beautiful woman, and she became the mistress of the governor of Martinique, the Marquis du Bouranet. His patronage helped the family make ends meet. Desiree arranged a marriage between her 14-year-old niece, herself growing into a beauty, and the Marquis' son, Alexandre. At 16, Rose returned to France to be married. She gave birth to two children, a son Eugène and a daughter Hortense but the marriage was miserable. Alexandre was ashamed of his wife's provincial upbringing and lack of sophistication, and he refused to present her to Queen Marie Antoinette at the court of Versailles. He frequented brothels and abandoned his family for long stretches, including a stint fighting in the American Revolutionary War. He was once gone for over a year, during which the court ordered a legal separation. Rose took her young children to live at an abbey, and later back to Martinique for an extended stay with her parents. An uprising of the enslaved Africans on the island forced her to return to France. As her family were among the colonists who enslaved human beings and exploited their labor, she is not popular in Martinique. In 1991, a statue of her there was beheaded and splattered with red paint. In 2020, it was toppled by anti-racist protesters. Back in Paris, she found her husband had launched a sensational political career. He was appointed a representative in the party of the nobility in the Estates General, the assembly which tried to make peace among growing tensions between the common people and the nobility and clergy, but ultimately failed. In 1789, the Bastille was stormed and the French Revolution broke out. Alexandre first fought for the French Royal Army, but when it became clear that they were losing the war, he changed his allegiance and fought for the revolution. The monarchy was toppled and King Louis XVI and Queen Marie Antoinette were guillotined in 1793. The new President of the First Republic, Maximilien Robespierre, was a paranoid man. He suspected everyone around him of working to undermine the cause. During his reign of terror, tens of thousands of people were arrested, and over 16,000 lost their heads to Madame Guillotine. Alexandra, an aristocratic turncoat, was highly suspected. The committee of general security ordered his arrest as a matter of course his wife rose was also locked up in Carme prison for months she languished under constant threat of execution at first she was able to communicate with her children by scrolling notes on the bottom of laundry lists but the guards discovered the scheme and stopped it next eugene and hortense snuck the fierce family pug for tune under the gates of the prison the clever canine always found his mistress and before long he began couriering notes under his collar keeping the terrified mother in contact with her children alexandra was beheaded on the 23rd of july 1794 and rose feared that she would be next But five days later, Robespierre himself was executed. The reign of terror came to an end, and she was set free. Now reunited with her children, Rose struggled financially for a year until a new law allowed her to recover the possessions of her executed husband. The beautiful 28-year-old widow was naturally full of kindness, generosity, and charm, and was an engaging hostess. She rose to the top of Paris society and was far more sophisticated than her first husband could have ever wanted her to be. She was described as average height, svelte, shapely, with silky, long, chestnut brown hair, hazel eyes, and a rather sallow complexion. Her nose was small and straight, and her mouth well formed, however she kept it closed most of the time so as not to reveal her bad teeth. She was praised for her elegance, style, and low, silvery, beautifully modulated voice. She was also revered for her skill in the arts of lovemaking. Rose had affairs with many prominent men of the day, including Vicomte Paul Barra. She always selected her lovers with her head rather than her heart, and was on the lookout for men who could improve her financial and social standing. After all, the only way a woman of the time had any hope of bettering her situation was through men. She spent Bada's money extravagantly, and in order to get his expensive mistress off his hands, he introduced her to an up and coming 22 year old Corsican army officer named Napoleon Bonaparte. She immediately saw his incredible potential and he immediately saw her sex appeal. He wrote to her, "'I awake full of you. "'Your image and the memory "'of last night's intoxicating pleasures "'has left no rest to my senses.'" He proposed marriage to her and she accepted. His family was not fond of his choice of bride. His mother and sisters felt clumsy and unsophisticated in the presence of the cultured lady, and they questioned his choice of an older widow who already had two children but Napoleon was smitten and the couple were wed in a civil ceremony on March 9, 1796. On their wedding night, her faithful dog, Fortune, ruined the groom's plans for an amorous evening. The pug perched on his mistress's bed and refused to move. Napoleon wrote, "'I was told frankly that I must share the bed with him or sleep elsewhere.'" He tried to push the dog aside and was promptly bitten on the shin. Napoleon began calling his new bride by the feminized version of her middle name, Joseph. From then on, she dropped the name Rose and was known as Josephine. Two days after the wedding, Napoleon kissed his bride goodbye and marched off to lead the French army into Italy. While he was gone, Josephine purchased the Chateau du Malmaison and busied herself renovating it. She took particular joy in the gardens, which she landscaped in the English style. She hired a Scottish gardener, a botanist, and horticulturalist André Dupont, who had a particular love of roses. He was the first to create intentional hybrid roses. There were about 250 different rose varieties at Malmaison during Josephine's time. She took an interest in the gardens and learned a great deal about botany and horticulture. She wanted to collect all known roses so Napoleon ordered his warships to search all seized vessels for plants which he forwarded to Malmaison. The general even arranged for ships carrying rose plants from England, bound for his lady love, to cross the military blockades between the two warring nations. Josephine was also a lover of the arts, and she filled her chateau with paintings, sculptures, and furnishings, and became the tastemaker of the day. She adored animals and kept an extensive menagerie on the grounds of her chateau. Her husband sent her many exotic pets, including black swans, peacocks, llamas, and kangaroos. But her favorite animal was a sweet-natured female orangutan, whom she gave her own childhood name, Rose. She attired her in children's dresses, taught her to eat with a knife and fork at the dinner table, and allowed her to sleep in bed with her at night. Sadly, Rose did not adapt well to life in chilly France. Within a year, she fell ill. She was tucked in bed, and when her mistress came in the room, she would greet her with an appealing look, shake her head gently, and press Josephine's hand affectionately. When she died, Josephine donated her body to the Museum of Natural History. While Napoleon was away, taking ever larger bites out of the map of Europe, He sent home numerous letters dripping with affection and lust to his beloved Josephine. You to whom nature has given spirit, sweetness, and beauty, and who alone can move and rule my heart. You who know all too well the absolute empire you exercise over it. Though there are several supposed quotes from the general's amorous dispatches which were made up long after his death. For instance, he never wrote to her, I'm coming home, don't bathe. The consuming passions in the relationship were entirely one-sided. Josephine rarely wrote back to her conquering hero, and when she did, her responses were dry, clipped, and even cold. He kept her picture in his pocket, and kissed it many times throughout his busy day of warfare. Meanwhile, Josephine barely glanced at the portrait of himself her new husband had gifted her. But aside from his desire for her in the bedroom, the general wasn't exactly a companionable spouse. He was extremely serious and forever fretting about his latest campaign. He followed a tight schedule packed with military and political obligations and paid little mind to his wife's interests. While Napoleon was off on yet another campaign, Josephine became involved with a handsome young lieutenant, Hippolyte Charles. He was relaxed, loved a good joke, and admired her for more than just her exceptional reputation in the boudoir. Rumors of the affair reached Napoleon, who was infuriated. He threatened to divorce Josephine, but her children calmed him down and managed to get the spouses to reconcile but the betrayal changed his love for her. His letters to her lost their passion and he began to take lovers of his own. While on campaign in Egypt, he became involved with the wife of a junior officer who was known as Napoleon's Cleopatra. He later wrote, Power is my mistress. And power he gained in abundance. Napoleon was a brilliant military leader and tactician. His campaigns are still studied at military schools worldwide. He led the French to victory in a number of campaigns across Europe. Then he used his power to springboard his political career. In 1799, he engineered a coup and became the first consul of the Republic. Thus he was the head of the French government. Does all this history send you daydreaming about exploring old castles and ancient ruins? Then join me on my historic group tour of Scotland from May 15th to 21st, 2024. Over seven days, we'll experience the highlights of Scottish history from lowlands to highlands. We'll see the honors of Scotland at Edinburgh Castle, Bronze Age burial chambers at Balnurin of Clava, Elendonin Castle, the Living History Highlands Folk Museum, Dunkeld Cathedral, the Mystical Isle of Skye, and so much more. We'll try delicious Scotch delicacies and unwind over a whiskey tasting. And most amazingly, we'll do it all with a group of fellow history lovers and a local guide. Bring a buddy or fly solo. We'll all become friends along the way. Click on the link in the description to reserve your place on this historic trip today. I can't wait to meet you in Scotland. Josephine was careful never to compromise her position by his side again. She focused her energy on leveraging her social skills to advance her husband's career. On Christmas Eve 1800, Napoleon and Josephine went to see a performance of Joseph Haydn's creation at the opera. Josephine was taking her time getting a new silk shawl draped correctly, so her husband left in his own carriage. Josephine, finally ready and looking stunning, followed close behind in a second carriage with her 17-year-old daughter, Hortense, and her pregnant sister-in-law, Caroline. Along the route, a bomb planted by a royalist assassin exploded as the carriage conveying the women passed. Several bystanders on the street were killed along with one of the carriage horses, Hortense was struck on the hand by debris, but none of the rest of the party were injured. They continued on to the opera. Napoleon faced a number of other assassination attempts led by those who wanted to restore the Bourbon royal family. He used these attempts on his life to argue that the Bourbons could never be brought back to power if he himself was made leader of France for life in the constitution. And so in 1804, Napoleon Bonaparte was elected emperor of France. While he was enraptured by his greatest victory yet, Josephine persuaded him to finally marry her in a religious ceremony. He did so reluctantly the night before their coronation. The grand coronation ceremony took place at Notre-Dame de Paris on December 2, 1804, and was officiated by Pope Pius VII. Napoleon first placed the imperial crown on himself and then placed a crown on Josephine's head, proclaiming her empress. The following year, Napoleon became king of Italy and Josephine his queen consort. Just like the bygone queens of France, Empress Josephine had a court of ladies-in-waiting, the wives of prominent military leaders and politicians. In her new position, she became the most important female art collector in Europe. She purchased dozens of works by old masters and modern artists whose careers she launched and patronized. She favored painters Jacques-Louis David, Anton Jean Gros, and François Girondon. She commissioned several paintings of her husband, which became part of Napoleon's propaganda as a powerful and unstoppable force. Architects Charles Percier and Pierre Fontaine decorated many residences for the royal couple. Their use of cheval glass and feminine soft lines was favored by their patroness and became synonymous with the empire style. Though the Empire silhouette, a high waistline just below the bust and a loose, fitting column of skirt, fashioned after a Greek toga, was beginning to be worn at the French royal court in its final years, Josephine popularized the look throughout Europe. Empress Josephine caught her husband in bed with her lady-in-waiting, and the couple had a terrible argument. Napoleon brought up the sensitive subject of her not having given birth to any of his children, and he threatened to divorce her over it. Now that she was 44, the possibilities of her becoming pregnant were slim. Eventually, her daughter Hortense was able to reconcile the couple, for now. The reason why Napoleon and Josephine never had any children together remains a historic medical mystery. The most widely accepted answer is that Josephine likely suffered a gynecological infection while imprisoned during the Reign of Terror. This combined with excessive stress throughout her life caused her fertility problems. Another theory is that after her imprisonment she became pregnant by one of her lovers. Josephine did take a hurried trip to Martinique to visit her family, and a girl named Benaquette was born around that time and adopted by Josephine's mother. It is theorized that this labor might have caused trauma resulting in Josephine's fertility problems. However, there is no solid evidence that Benaquette was her child and many historians dispute this theory. Josephine took a number of trips to spa towns in order to improve her fertility, but nothing ever came of it. Whatever the reason, Napoleon was deeply disappointed by not having any sons to pass his fast acquired power onto. He cared very much for his stepchildren, appointing Uchen viceroy of Italy, and arranging a marriage between Hortense and his own younger brother, Louis, then making the couple king and queen of Holland. He named their eldest son, his step-grandson nephew, Napoleon Charles, his heir. But when the young prince died of croup at the age of five, the emperor was anguished. Though he still loved his wife dearly, he decided to leave her. And he created a list of eligible young princesses he might move on to. Over dinner, he informed Josephine that in the interests of France, he must find a new wife who could produce an heir. Napoleon was able to secure an annulment rather than a divorce, which might have turned off potential Catholic brides because there hadn't been a parish priest present at the couple's religious wedding. This slight technicality was likely planned from his wedding day, in case he ever wanted an easy way to dispose of his wife. Napoleon was a master of game theory both on and off the battlefield. Josephine agreed to the annulment with little resistance, and their 14-year marriage was ended in a grand but solemn public ceremony, during which they both read statements of devotion to one another. Four months later, the 41-year-old emperor married 19-year-old Marie-Louise, the daughter of the former Holy Roman Emperor Francis II, whose empire Napoleon had already destroyed. The young bride became infatuated with her worldly and powerful husband, but he did not return her affections. He said, it is a womb that I am marrying but he continued to hold his ex-wife in the highest regard. He insisted that she retain the title of Empress and he also created her Duchess of Navarre. He wrote, It is my will that she never doubt my sentiments and that she ever hold me as her best and dearest friend. They saw each other often and likely continued to be lovers. She remarked, the only thing that ever came between us was my debts, certainly not his manhood. Josephine spent her remaining years at the Chateau de Malmaison, where she found joy in cultivating her roses and throwing lavish parties. Her many bills were all paid by the emperor. In 1811, Empress Marie-Louise delivered the long-awaited heir, the future Napoleon II. His father granted him the title King of Rome and arranged for Josephine to meet the young prince who had cost her so many tears. Napoleon continued his conquests throughout Europe, but his lust for power was never quenched. His ill advised ambitions to invade Russia were his downfall. In 1814, a large coalition army comprised of many of the nations he had attacked invaded France and forced him to abdicate the throne. Napoleon was exiled to the island of Elba, and Louis XVIII, the younger brother of the beheaded Louis XVI and the uncle of uncrowned Louis XVII, who died in prison was placed on the throne. One of the victors of the coalition army, Emperor Alexander I of Russia went to visit Josephine at Malmaison. She begged him to allow her to join her ex-husband in exile on the island of Elba. He refused but he did offer her protection from her ex's many enemies now in power in France. Heartbroken, Josephine died a few days later at the age of 50. The former empress was buried in the nearby church of Saint-Pierre-Saint-Paul in Rouen. Napoleon learned of his beloved ex-wife's death from a French newspaper. He locked himself in his room for two days and refused to see anyone. Later, he told a friend, I truly loved my Josephine, but I did not respect her. Napoleon escaped from Elba in 1815 and took back control of France, but his enemies formed another coalition army and they defeated him once and for all at the Battle of Waterloo. He was exiled to an even more remote island, St. Helena, in the South Atlantic. He died there 6 years later at the age of 51. Despite their many adulteries, divorce, and long separation, Napoleon's last thoughts were of his dear Josephine. His final words were, France, the army, the head of the army, Josephine. Josephine's children married well, making their mother an ancestor to a number of modern royals. Eugène's son, Auguste, married Queen Maria II of Portugal, his son Maximilian married Grand Duchess Maria Nikolaevna of Russia, the sister of Tsar Alexander II. Amelie married Emperor Pedro I of Brazil. Josephine married King Oscar I of Sweden. She is a direct ancestor of modern monarchs, King Philippe of Belgium, Queen Margareta II of Denmark, King Harald V of Norway, King Carl XVI Gustaf of Sweden, and Grand Duke Henri of Luxembourg. These royal families inherited a number of jewels said to have belonged to the Empress Josephine. The Norwegian royal family possesses an emerald and diamond suite of jewels and the Swedish royal family owns the Lustenberg sapphire suite and an unusual cameo suite which was worn by Crown Princess Victoria at her 2010 wedding. Josephine's daughter Hortense was the mother of Louis II, who was king of Holland for nine days before being forced to abdicate and of Napoleon III, who was elected the first President of France in 1848, and then Emperor of the French from 1852 to 1870, before the French monarchy was finally abolished for good. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.